1: I'm curious to know, Paul. Last time we spoke, you had um, you had, had a recent sort of road adventure where you traveled to Stratford, trying to take all old yes. turnpikes. Yes. Um, have you had any other adventures on Vermont roads lately?
2: Um, I got lost on Saturday. <laughs> no, I didn't get lost. I just was frustrated. I was. This is
1: Paul Gillis. We met him in an episode up. last summer when we took on a bunch of your questions about mysterious Vermont road names. Paul is the author of Uncommon Law, Ancient Roads, and Other Ruminations on Vermont Legal History.
2: I'm always aware of what road I'm on, and I always will choose the oldest roads if I can.
1: What kind of a car do you drive?
2: Oh, I'm embarrassed to say it's a Highlander.
1: We invited Paul back into the studio because you all have shared more questions about road names, and we knew he could help. Well, thanks again for coming back. I'm uh, excited to sort of, we don't usually repeat topics on Brave Little State, but this feels like maybe a fun tradition. So thanks for being up for it.
2: Everybody wonders, you know, what's the name of that road and where did it come from? and Sometimes it's delightful and sometimes it's just, Nothing.
1: From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. This show is about curiosity and the place we live. Every month, we answer your questions about Vermont, our region, and its people. This month, it's our second annual Brief History of Vermont Road Names. We've got some great questions and some very special guest reporters this month, independent producer and my friend, Bianca Gaver, and VPR's star summer interns, Anna Van Dyne and Olivia White. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Welcome. Thanks to VEDA for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, VEDA has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. A very quick orientation here. When you're wondering about a Vermont road name, there are two directions you can go in your research. If it's an old road name, you might find a clue in a 1977 book called Vermont Place Names by Esther Monroe Swift. That's a go-to for Paul. The other possibility is that the road name is much newer
2: you know, the the arrival of the 911 emergency uh, location system was the trigger for the naming of the majority of Vermont roads because you had to have a name in order to be able to have the ambulance know where to find you.
1: The creation of a statewide 911 system started in the mid-90s. Paul says the process sometimes resulted in pretty arbitrary names.
2: Usually it was named for some person that might have settled there. But when they didn't have anybody that had any opinion, they started using, well, like we have Penny Lane and we have some Beatles songs names. And if you drive around and you're wondering about what, why that road was named that way, it might well have been the simple whim of the 911 coordinator.
1: That particular fate did not befall any of the roads we explore in this episode, however. So without further ado, let's begin. We'll start with a question from John in Arlington. We weren't able to get a recording of John's question, but he wanted to know about Mad Tom Road in East Dorset. There's also a Mad Tom Brook and a Mad Tom Notch. So where did this name come from?
2: Hello. Hi
1: there. Hi, you must be Angela. I am Angela, yeah. It's a question commonly asked at Mad yeah. Tom Orchard a few miles out of town. Pick your own apples with a view. I'm Sylvia Smith,
2: and I live at
1: at Mad Tom Orchard.
2: I'm Tom Smith, and I also live at Mad Tom Orchard, and together, Sylvia and I uh, run that business.
1: Yes, Tom Smith of Mad Tom Orchard on Mad Tom Road.
2: Because my name is Tom, we do get a lot of questions in terms of did they name the road after you and and this type of thing.
1: It's a popular theory among the kindergarteners from Northshire Day School. They come to pick apples in the fall
2: they'll often come in and say, are you mad Tom? And he'll say, yes, but I'm not mad
3: today.
1: As charming as it is, this is not the origin of the name Mad Tom Road. This orchard was established in 1940, long before Tom and Sylvia Smith took over. And the road itself was named long before that. It first appears on the map in 1856.
2: Madam Swift, the expert of all roads, says Mad Tom derives its name from the tumbling rush it makes as it comes down out of the mountains.
1: Our road expert, Paul Gillis, says the Mad Tom Road is named for Mad Tom Brook, so-called, evidently, because of its mad, unpredictable waters. We'll get to the Tom part in a bit.
2: I did find an interesting article from the Manchester Journal of October 3, 1912, that said there is a hope that the old Notch Road, which was that Mad Tom Road, may be given up. Every flood that rushes down that narrow canyon washes out both road and bridges, about three miles of it. Several thousand dollars was expended for bridges and road there this summer, only to be destroyed in the recent flood. This steep, narrow, hard, and dangerous road can be abandoned with little... Uh, inconvenience to the public,
1: and so that was a piece that you found. What year was it from?
2: 1912.
1: So I guess I'd be curious to know if that prediction, that very dire prediction in the piece that you know this road's just going to keep flooding and over and over, uh, has that come to pass?
2: So the storm we had in April, the water was on both sides of this road. Oh wow! It was overtopped, and the whole road, really from here back to where it crosses was was uh, underwater
1: just this past april
2: yes yeah, so april 15th storm
1: rob giotti is dorset's town manager it's a rainy morning and he's driving me along mad tom road in his toyota tacoma this part here that flooded in april actually runs along a second waterway the headwaters of the otter creek um, so it's so small up here
2: <laughs> yeah it looks it looks timid now
1: down a ways, Rob shows me where the Mad Tom Brook comes out of Mad Tom Notch and cuts close to the road.
2: We're going to go over a little bridge here, and the Mad Tom goes right underneath it. And you can kind of see the, the, the debris field there. Oh, uh, yeah. I
1: rolled down the little. Yeah, first. go ahead. In addition to the April flood, Rob says there was also damage to this road during Tropical Storm Irene in 2011 when the Mad Tom caused some washouts on Mad Tom.
2: Uh, and both of those events kind of ended up being FEMA disaster storms.
1: So this would explain the MAD, but what about the TOM?
3: Well, there is no one individual uh, Matt TOM. Uh, Matt TOM really is a, a cultural figure.
1: To answer that question, I hop on Skype and talk to this gentleman.
3: Do you want my full title and all the rest of it? That'd be great. Do you want want my full? Okay, my name is uh, Dr. Simon Cross, and I'm a a senior lecturer in media and cultural studies at Nottingham Trent University in the UK.
1: And this is where the story gets super interesting. Because Mad Tom isn't just a random phrase. It originated centuries ago in England.
3: Perhaps I'd better start with the idea of uh, bedlam. That might be the, the best way to begin.
1: Simon Cross says the full phrase is Mad Tom of Bedlam, and it all started in a place that came to be known as the Royal Bethlehem Hospital.
3: It began life in and around the 11th century in England, and for hundreds of years, Bethlehem was the only public institution uh, housing the insane It was a very small institution based in London, but at the same time it loomed large in the popular imagination. And in that sense, Bethlehem becomes corrupted in popular language as Bedlam.
1: Bedlam, as in the word we all use for a chaotic situation. That's where that comes from.
3: And Tom, or the figure of Mount Tom, emerges... Sometime around the 15th or 16th, early 16th century, as somebody who has spent time in Bedlam slash Bethlehem.
1: The stereotype takes hold in early modern England and
3: sticks. Uh, and appears, for instance, in Shakespeare's King Lear.
1: There were poems and ballads written about Mad Tom. Some are still sung today. To find my Tom of Bedlam Ten thousand years I'll travel Mad Maudling goes on dirty toes
0: To save her shoes from gravel
4: Bonnie boy. They all go and
1: they Simon Cross has written a fascinating article before. about all this called Bedlam in Mind Seeing and Reading Historical Images of Madness. We've got a link up at our website. But he was surprised to hear that Mad Tom had made it all the way to Vermont.
3: It's got to be a rarity. Uh, it seems to me that you might be the only place in the world that has a Mad Tom Road or a Mad Tom River.
1: And there's our more well-known Mad River Valley as well. Obviously, mad is an antiquated term when we talk about mental health today. But Simon Cross says it's a quality to be celebrated.
3: You get the sense with your mad references in Vermont that... There's something about the the landscape, there's something about the interior of the region that lends itself to the idea that it is wild and unpredictable and fascinating and uh, idiosyncratic, peculiar, uh, but enjoyable even as well.
1: It seems to me that that description of the Vermont landscape is spot on. All right, road name number two comes from a funny question we got a while back from Michael Hudson. He wrote, for the love of God, please tell me the origin of Putney's High Low Biddy Road. Independent producer Bianca Gaver takes this one. Bianca spent this summer studying at the Bread Loaf School of English in Ripton. So that's where this story starts.
5: This is a place where people think about words all day. Um, So I'm excited to see if they have any thoughts about High Low Biddy. Everyone's noses aren't books right now. <laughs> Hello. Hi. I'm doing a story about the history of Vermont road signs, and I got assigned High Low Biddy Road, and I'm just wondering, do you have any guesses about what that might mean, High Low Biddy?
1: I don't know why I think this, but I feel like it might have something to do
5: with a cow.
6: My first thought was about like a dance, kind of like a ditty, but now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of like little bitty, um, yeah.
5: Like a little bit of a ditty.
6: Like a little bitty ditty.
5: Maybe it's a person? Um, <laughs> Who is the person? High biddy bitty, road. Oh, like first name, high low, middle name, bitty, last name, road? Yeah. <laughs> I walked across campus to see if there were any more clues here about High Biddy. I'm going to the adorable library. It's a white house filled with books. They happen to have the Vermont Road Name book. Vermont Place Names by Esther Swift. It didn't talk about High Biddy Road, but it did talk about Biddy Knob in Rutland County. Oh, okay, okay, oh, okay. Biddy Knob is a peak more than 2,000 feet high. No one can explain the origin of its name. Biddy means a chicken or a hen. The word can also be a diminutive of the girl's name Bridget, and it is sometimes used as a disparaging slang term for women. Which is still the case. You call biddies as a slang term for like girls who play lacrosse and wear pearl earrings. But that's what it was for me in college. Okay, so that remains a mystery. I did some more research about the definition of biddy in the dictionary and on the internet. A woman, especially an elderly one, regarded as annoying or interfering. Early 17th century, originally denoting a chicken. Of unknown origin, denoting an Irish maid servant. In Australia, a biddy is a two for one McDonald's voucher, usually entitles the bear to enjoy two delicious Big Macs for the price of one. A biddy is one of those girls who wears short skirts and very high heels in very cold weather. So Biddy could be a chicken, a girl named Bridget, or a woman. And as Paul Gillis, our intrepid road expert, told Angela...
2: High Lows, Biddy was the name of a very famous harness horse that was born in 1953, sired by Hollyrood Hermes, which was a famous uh, stud horse, and uh, got a reputation as a trotter. So was <laughs> was the horse, you know... Pastured there, or was it born there? I don't know.
5: A horse. I clearly had a lot of work to do. My next step was to see the High Low Biddy Road for myself. So I drove to Putney, singing a song I made up along the way. High Biddy 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 High Low Biddy Biddy hilo Biddy Road. High Biddy 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 High Low Biddy. There, I met Michael, the question asker.
0: My name is Michael Hudson. Uh, we're in my home in Putney, Vermont. And my question is, who or what was the high-low biddy, and why did they name a road after he, she, or it? It doesn't make sense to me, you know? Like somebody said, oh, I know what we're going to call this road, the high-low biddy road. And somebody else said, yeah, that's a good idea.
5: We walked out of his house, turned right, and within 100 yards, we were on high-low biddy. Here's the, this is the road? This is it. (laughs) This is barely a road. Yeah, I know. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so there's a dead end sign. It's unpaved. It's gravelly. It's very overgrown. Oh, yeah.
0: There aren't many homes
5: down here. Yeah. So right now we're going low, Biddy. We're walking downhill. Well,
0: I don't know. This might be high over here.
5: <laughs> Whoever thought of it, I mean, it is very fun to say.
0: Oh, it is fun to say. It really is.
5: High Low Biddy runs alongside a brook called Sackett's Brook. In the late 1700s and in the 1800s, this brook was the bustling home to many mills, manufacturing everything from flour to paper to flannel. Today, the ruins of these mills are still present.
0: Over there, you'll see, I think it's called the Twining's Mill. I guess this was the Owl Mills.
5: We got to the bottom of Biddy and crossed a bridge over Sackett's Brook.
0: It's too bad this is overgrown so much. This is the... The bridge, and it's a it's a stone arch bridge. It's really cool. You know, it's one of those dry-laid stone bridges that are, I believe, held together by gravity.
5: It's called Sackett's Brook Stone Arch Bridge, and it was built by a stonemason named James Otis Follett in 1906. The stones are perfectly placed together without any mortar holding them. Today, it's on the National Register of Historic Places. We continued down the road where we met a Hilo Biddy resident. He didn't know the origin of Hilo Biddy, but he told us that his neighbor Tim was the person to
3: talk to. So, um, I know Tim is home. I'm sure he wouldn't mind if he knocked on his door. He knows a lot of the history here.
5: So we walked up to Tim's house. Hilo Biddy Biddy house, House. and there's horses on the sign. That's right. It's a clue. You think so? We knocked on the door. And we're told that Tim was in the shower. Is he at the early end of the shower or the late end, does it seem like?
2: He's uh, got about 5%. When he got
5: out of the shower, my hopes were high. First of all, what's your name?
2: Uh, Tim Ragel.
5: And
6: then? Uh, nobody really knows the answer as to why it was called Low Biddy. But it's, it's one of those stories that's really lost in history. We don't know.
5: But he did have his own theory about the name.
6: And it's also an itty-bitty road. It's a very, very short road.
5: (laughs) That's all I can... drop the itty. That's all. And as for the horse that I saw on his address sign, that was just a coincidence. Tim collects and restores horse-drawn carriages that he sells to museums. So I bid our question-asker, Michael, farewell, and I went home to do some more research. I cracked open a digital copy of The History of Putney, Vermont by Edith DeWolf, The book was published in 1953, 66 years ago, and even back then, DeWolf wrote, The origin of Hilo Biddy is not known. This book did resolve one thing, though. Remember that horse that Paul Gillis mentioned? Given the timing of this book's publication and the birth of the horse, I was able to conclude that the road was not named after the horse. So after I left town, Hilo Biddy became the historic question of the week in Putney, Vermont, The town Facebook group was alive with chatter about the road. I began calling the families who had lived on the road and anyone who might know something about the origin of the name. I talked to the historical society, the current town clerk, the previous town clerk, and the Vermont State Archives. And I kept getting the same answer.
0: Uh, You know, to be honest with you, I don't know a lot. I really don't remember anything about when it was named.
5: Okay. The closest I came to discovering the origin was talking to Jim Dunham, who grew up on the road. He claims that when he was in fifth grade, his teacher, Inez Harlow, told him the origin of the name, but that he forgot. I wish I could
6: remember. I really do wish I could remember. In one ear and at the other.
5: <laughs> Most of the residents I spoke to said that they thought high-low came from the road starting high and dipping low. As for the biddy, the majority believed that it was about the old women who lived on the road. Some thought that there was a biddy at the high end and at the low end. They
0: would get together and make their dandelion wine and talk about the neighborhood.
5: (laughs) That's Edna Turner, who used to live on the road. Whoever the biddy was, her image remains strong in people's minds. The generation I spoke to clearly remembered the three older women that lived on high-low biddy when they were kids. Their names were Eva Turner, Elvira Rhodes, and Sarah Doyle. Here's Jim Dunham again remembering Elvira.
0: She always gave us homemade donuts for Halloween.
2: (laughs) We always look forward to it.
5: Around 10 years ago, the town changed the road name to Thwing Road after a mill that was located on the brook. But the residents missed the name. They organized and petitioned to change it back to High Low Biddy. The High Low Biddy name was just too fun to say and too beloved by all.
1: Bianca Gaver. Our next question is about a road in Marshfield. It came to us from Katie Sullivan, who lives a bit north of there in the town of Albany. How did Star Pudding Farm Road get its name? Is there a star pudding farm? VPR's intrepid summer interns, Anna Van Dyne and Olivia White, hopped on this question. In their preliminary research, they learned that the name Star Pudding Farm came from an old poem. But I'll leave it to them to explain.
4: So,
7: let's go. On a Thursday in late July, we drive up Route 2 into Marshfield. And by we, I mean me, Anna Van Dyne. And
4: me, Olivia White.
7: Should we put some music on?
4: Yeah. All right,
7: I'll put a playlist on for the way there. You get one the way back. Okay.
4: Marshfield is a small
7: town, about 20 minutes outside of Montpelier on Route 2. There's one main street with a bakery, a general store, and a post office. We are headed to the town
4: offices to talk to the town clerk, Bobby Brimblecombe. Hi, I'm Anna, this is Olivia. We're from the Radio. We know the town clerk will have records of who lives on Star Pudding Farm Road, And maybe even know the history of the name. Can we ask you a couple questions about Squarefooting
7: Farm Road? And Bobby does know part of the answer to Katie's question. When the 911 system was being implemented, the town named all the back roads. Most of the road names in Marshfield had to do with who lived there, like Taylor Farm Road, Thompson Hill Road,
4: or McCrill's Road. But this road was named by Martin Johnson. He owned the property at the end of the road. But Martin
7: Johnson didn't name it Johnson Road. He named it Star Pudding Farm Road. Bobby told us Martin passed away in 2012.
4: I think his family, some of his family still lives around, but his widow moved, sold the property and moved.
7: As part of our reporting, we tried to get in touch with a member of the Johnson family, but we had no luck. Here in Marshfield, Bobby Brimblecombe suggests we talk to Luana Dutill, who still lives on Star Pudding Farm Road. Bobby tells us that Luana had been friends with Martin and Laura Johnson and might know something.
4: Bobby figures Luana will be home because she runs a daycare. So we make our way to Star Pudding Farm Road, hoping to hear more of the story.
7: There it is! <laughs> Star Pudding! Oh my gosh! Star Pudding Farm Road. Okay, so we know where it is. Woo-hoo!
4: That's cool. It looks like it's a dirt road up some big hill. We turn off of Route 2 near Twinfield High School, and at the bottom of the hill we find Miles of Smiles Daycare, Luana's house.
6: Hello.
7: Hello. Hi. Luana and her husband have lived on Star Pudding Farm Road for 20 years. What do people, like when you tell them your address, are they like... Haha, ha. you live on Star Pudding Farm or what is it? People usually say pudding as in chocolate. That's
4: that's the common the common thing. But here's the thing. The road isn't named after a pudding recipe. It actually comes from a poem. The name
7: Star Pudding Farm Road comes from a poem that Laura and Martin discovered.
4: And I don't know if you googled it if you could find it. Well, we did Google it. We found it in an article in the Rutland Herald, written in 2002 by a woman named Sally West Johnson. It tells the story of the Johnsons and Star Pudding Farm Road. The article says Star Pudding is the name of a poem about hardscrabble farming. Johnson had
7: a framed copy of it in his living room.
4: So, like we said, we really wanted to get in touch with someone from the Johnson family to ask about it. And we asked Bobby... And Luanna. We scoured the internet. And we called a few wrong numbers. But we weren't able to get in touch with anyone. But... But! After lots of digging through old poetry anthologies, we did find the poem itself. It was written by a New England poet named Robert P. T. Coffin. Who, by the way, had a glorious mustache. He spent most of his life in Maine and published the poem in 1937. The poem is about a farmer named
7: Daniel Holbrook, who has trouble growing anything on his farm at the top of the hill. His soil's too rocky, his cow always breaks through the fence, and weeds grow uncontrollably. The townsfolk in the poem say that Daniel eats wind pudding, since he's got no plants and no money. So, wind pudding is an expression, not actually a food. Exactly, but the poem gets its title from the second stanza, which talks about stars. See, Daniel couldn't grow anything on his farm, but he was happy, because he could see the night sky better than anyone else up there on his hill. And even though he worked in his fields throughout the night and early morning, he didn't mind because he was surrounded by the beauty of the stars.
4: And so star pudding is kind of about finding the simple secret pleasures in life that not everyone else understands. Yeah, and that's actually really lovely. So now we think we can safely say that the road name is definitely from the poem. But why did the Johnsons love it so much? We can't ask the Johnsons themselves
7: but the spirit of the poem seems to fit with what Luana has to say about her old neighbors. They were incredible people, incredible people. When we first moved here and I opened daycare, um, they actually have a pond at their home, and they had uh, sand trucked in so that the children could have sand to play in. So we would walk up the hill and play in the sand and and swim in the pond and catch frogs. So just
4: amazing. Yes, yes. A blessing. And Bobby Brimblecombe, the town clerk, says Martin Johnson was particularly interesting. Oh, he was wonderful. He, he was an engineer. He founded the Johnson Company. It was an environmental engineering company. They did work all over the world.
7: After learning all this,
4: we figure we've got one thing left to do. We drive up to the Johnsons' old property at the top of Star Pudding Farm Road.
7: This is it. This it just stops. Oh. Oh, so that's the farmhouse.
4: This is beautiful. We stop at the end of the road, and we can just see the house. A private driveway leads up to it. We look at the place from a distance. It's definitely not a hard scrabble farm like in the poem. There's a nice house with landscaped grounds. The land slopes and sheets of granite stick out of the grass. We see the pond where Luanna's kids used to catch frogs. And even though we don't know for certain why the Johnsons chose the name Star-Pudding Farm Road, it is really nice up here. The farmer in Robert P. T. Coffin's poem was really connected to the land below him and the cosmos above.
7: He always was all tangled up in stars, the poem says. He had to hoe so long and get up out of bed so bright and early. It was nothing for him to find a morning star beside his shoulder or an evening one. It might do for a breakfast or a supper. And Daniel showed it in his burning eyes." That's how the poem ends.
4: Whether or not the Johnsons felt the same way about their own home, the name they chose for the property and the road leading up to it is a reminder of how special it is to have that kind of connection and sense of place.
1: Olivia White and Anna Van Dyne. We've got a copy of the poem Star Pudding and a recording of Olivia and Anna reading it up at our website. Thanks to Commonweal Magazine for permission to share. This last question came into our Brave Little State hotline, where you can call and leave a message.
0: My question is about Sawney Bean
1: Road in Setford Center. Uh, Where did this name come from?
3: Last I heard, Sonny Bean and his family were shipwreckers who lived in caves on the coast of Scotland and ate the people that were captured from the ship. How did this get to Thetford Center?
1: Uh, This is Nan Carmen in West Windsor, Vermont. Um,
2: I've been curious for 40 years since I lived in Thetford. Thank you.
1: Wait, shipwreckers? Cannibals? Question mark, question mark.
2: I found a quote from Noel Perrin, who was a longtime Vermont writer.
1: Road historian Paul Gillis says the writer Noel Perrin noted this about Sonny Bean Road.
2: He said, oh, just delightfully, apparently named for a medieval Scottish cannibal, no one knows why.
1: So Nan Carmen isn't coming out of left field here. Sonny Bean is the name of someone from Scottish legend.
2: Well, the story goes
6: that Sonny Bean was born in East Lothian, Scotland.
1: Blaine Pardo is the author of the 2015 book, Sonny Bean.
6: Dissecting the legend of the Scottish cannibal.
1: The story originated in the 16th century.
6: Sonny and his wife, they lived in a cave on the Scottish coast. It could only be accessed... Uh, during the low tide. Uh, And for years, they survived by not only robbing their victims, but allegedly eating their victims. Whoa. This was a story that the English told about the Scots, especially during the era of the Scottish Rebellions in the 1700s. They tried to make the Scots much more frightening.
2: And then it turned a little bit and Sawney became... Uh, recognized as a word that you that the English would use to make fun of the Scots.
6: To refer to, to Scottish people in a derogatory way. Fascinating
1: and disturbing. But why did Thetford take up the name Sonny Bean?
6: If you think about this, we're talking about the, the Bean family was allegedly involved with the murder of a thousand people and eating them. This would be the equivalent of naming a road after Charles Manson or Ted Bundy.
1: Blaine Pardo is happy to speculate.
6: If it's a frightening road, if it's windy, if it's curvy, heavily wooded, if it's something that's got a creepiness about it, I could see somebody attaching this to them. I, I will say this, I wouldn't be traveling that road at night or, or you know during the autumn season.
1: I drive the road on a perfectly gorgeous summer day. It is not very creepy at this time, though it is curvy and heavily wooded toward the bottom.
5: Hi there, Hello. how are you?
1: Peter Fischel is out for a walk. How long have you lived on the road?
3: Yeah, about 30 years.
1: Peter has no idea how this road got its name. I do not. But he loves to
0: jog it.
3: It is one of my great uh, pleasures of life.
0: Maybe there was a single old sawny bean who lived on this road somewhere. Well,
1: <laughs> Up the road, Terry Garrison is working on a home renovation for Alex Charrington. Alex lives here, and he knows some of the history.
0: What I've heard, various things, that it was a derogatory uh, name for a Scot.
1: Alex has heard the legend
0: as well. So anyway, when... This area was first developed. Apparently, there were either people that lived up here that people didn't like, but they had to give them a name that went along with their opinion of them. And so Sonny Bean it was.
1: Full disclosure, I did not find definitive proof of why Thetford chose this name. I heard a bunch of different theories, many along the lines of what Alex is suggesting, that the name Sonny Bean might have actually referenced someone who lived on the road. Not a cannibal.
0: No, I'm going to say it again. Flatlanders changed it. People from out of state, that didn't know what they were talking about. So they moved into the area and they changed it the way they want it.
1: Nate Pirro grew up in Thetford. He lives in West Fairley now. He says the road used to be Swanee Bean. And this is true. That spelling shows up on a map from 1877. In fact, the spelling has changed many times, even in more recent records. Swanee, Sawnie with an E-Y, Sawnie with an E-E. That's what it is right now.
0: It was named after two Native American families that lived in the upper part of the valley.
1: Swanee and Bean were two local families, according to Nate, who is Native American himself.
0: Yeah, I can just go by what my grandfather and my father told me, that that was what it was named for, is for the two old Native Americans. And, and my father was chief of the tribe, so I have to go along with what he had to say.
1: This was the Kawasak tribe of the Abenaki Native Americans. Now, a cursory search at the Thetford Historical Society didn't turn up any records of these names. But Bean was a family in Stratford, the next town over, and so was Shawnee. It's complicated.
0: To the best of my knowledge, which may be imperfect, there was a fellow named Bean who lived somewhere near the junction of Shawnee Bean Road and Miller Pond Road.
1: House Representative Jim Masland lives in this area. He left me a pretty fuzzy voicemail with his explanation.
0: His last name was Bean, and who was a lazy so-and-so. This is back in colonial times or whatever. And um, he was known as a Sonny or a Sonny, meaning a lazy person. And it is said that Sonny Bean Road came from... Sonny or Sonny Bean was a lazy so and so? Back in
1: 1979, a local historian named Jessie Baldwin tried to determine the origin of Sonny Bean Road. By her account, a James Bean of Stratford was a Tory, but her research is inconclusive.
2: She never finds any Sonnies among the Beans in that area.
1: So, best case scenario, there are three possible explanations for this road name. Maybe it was just straight up named for the legend of a Scottish cannibal. Maybe it was some combination where the derogatory word Sani was applied to a local resident, possibly Native American, possibly a British sympathizer, possibly a lazy so-and-so. Or maybe there were simply two families around here named Sani or Swanee or Shawnee and Bean. It's difficult to say. In 1980, Gwenda Smith of the Stratford Historical Society saw Jesse Baldwin's research and wrote her a letter. Quote, Part of the charm of these old and puzzling names, I feel, is the mystery that surrounds them, Gwenda wrote. You seem to have done a nice job leaving enough of the mystery there to tease the mind, while telling us a lot of fascinating facts connected with the name and the area. Congratulations and thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the show this month. Our hotline, where you can record your question about Vermont, is 802-552-4880. And we've got road photos and maps and bonus reading up at our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, be sure to vote on the question you want us to tackle next. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. You can support us by becoming a sustaining member of VPR or by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BravestateVT. Editing this month by Lynn McRae and me. Our theme music is by Ty Gibbons. Other music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions. We have engineering support from Chris Albertine and digital support from Elodie Reed, Meg Malone, and Noah Cutter. Special thanks to Martha Howard, John Mathewson, Lori Magoon, Tracy Borst, Barbara Taylor, and the RPT Coffin Archive at Bowdoin College. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back next month with a very hot topic: recycling. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions.
2: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Line takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.